Well, we want you to fill that out today. We have a question out there for you today in the atrium. Uh, who is someone of faith who inspires you, that they've lived a life of faith? And we look forward to seeing what your answers are on that because we all need people. We call them the, the Paul who is ahead of us. We need the Barnabas who's beside us and the Timothy that we're, we're that person leading them and, and inspiring their faith. And uh, we would love for you to do that next weekend. So really cool thing is many of you celebrate the resurrection you know, up to 50 times a year, together with other people who say, I want to live the resurrection with God life. But some people do that once a year, and they'll be here next week. <laughs> and we want you to welcome them. We want you to invite them, because we know so many faith journeys are catalyzed on Easter, especially around here, because we tend to attract people intentionally who have given up on church and given up on God because of some crisis in their life, and we would love for, for you to invite that person. And maybe, as Laura said last week, it's around a cup of coffee this week, you say to your friend, oh, I would love for you to come. Our church is in a series right now that is really about what I know you've been through. You, we are in a series on your inevitable faith crisis. And we're going to look at that again next week and the week after and the week after that. And hopefully we catalyze some journeys that have been on pause. So 8 o'clock, 9.30, 11 o'clock, we uh, would love for you to be here. If you come at the 8 o'clock, there will be some special Bill's Donuts uh, reward for getting up at 8. And you can wear your pajamas. Remember, you can wear your pajamas if you want to. Uh, my favorite Easter story of pajamas is uh, when one of our guitarists wore a onesie that was skin-toned. <laughs> so it was the first time in the history of the church that a guitar acted as a loincloth as far as the church out there saw it. It was fantastic. It was just great. But you can wear your pajamas. We, you know, just it's come as you are. And uh, we'd love for you to do that. Know that the 11 o'clock, this one fills up quicker than the other ones, so keep that in mind. Thursday, from 12 to 8, we have Easter Watch, and the Reverie Chapel will be open with some interactive experiential opportunities, 12 to 8, and uh, that's going to be particularly relevant as we go through the content this morning. We, uh, we have a, I want to give you a faith test right now. So in your mind, I want you to picture a, 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 a glacier and a thin sheet of ice. Would you rather have a little faith standing on a glacier or would you rather have a lot of faith standing on a thin sheet of ice? Now, it's a little bit of a trick question because we're in church where we're supposed to say a lot of faith. Aren't we supposed to say that? Because in this series, we're not just teaching about, we're, we're teaching about the fact that it's not about how much faith you have. It's about how much faith you have that's real and how you live. And it's not about how much faith you have. It's about the object of your faith that matters. We live in a country that has faith. Everybody in here has faith, actually. We, we, you, you put your faith in the transportation system when you came here today and trusting that when other people were supposed to stop, they stopped. And, you know, when they had red lights, so they, we all have faith. We're all have, we have faith in, in someone and something. But the object of your faith, what is it? Because we're looking at your inevitable faith crisis and hoping that the next time that you come into contact with 
a crisis that challenges your belief system, that this gives you a way to navigate that, and especially today, as all of us are inevitably going to have our faith challenged by one significant event or another. And look at what Hebrews says. Hebrews says that faith is confidence in what we hope for. So we're not there yet, but we have enough evidence to, that the, the headlights of evidence have shown down the road this much, and we're going to keep going down the road. Even though we can't see the end of the road, we're going to keep going because we have this evidence, confidence in what we have not seen, what we hope for, and sure as about we do not see, this is what the ancients, ancients were commended for. So that today, we're asking the question, what kind of faith matters? Last week, Laura answered the question, why does faith matter? But, but what, when we talk about faith, what are we talking about? Because everybody has faith. One of the most important things you can do is what we did last week, and that is tell us what you believe. Tell us something you're sure about. And it's one of the most important ways that you affirm someone. It's a lost art in America. When you ask someone, hey, what do you believe about? And then you don't try to manage them or, or change them, but you accept them for who they are. It's an amazingly empowering thing. The reason is our beliefs are so critical to us because when we define what we believe, we're defining ourselves. We are defining ourselves, what we really believe. And I have a number of things. Like right now, I believe the Reds will not win the World Series this year. I believe that. I believe that. It's hard to win the World Series with a triple-A roster, and you don't have major leaguers on your, on your it's going to be hard. Um, I believe that Jaws is the greatest movie ever made. I, I believe that, and, and, and I have lived that out. I have lived that out. Some of you think I'm a pathological nut for, for loving a movie about a shark eating people, but it's not about that. Anyhow, let's get, not get off that. Uh, but we define ourselves, and we say, here's what I believe. So what I want you to do right now is turn to someone and, and uh, you know, everybody, like, like, put your hand like this. Like, this would be like this. And I'll turn to someone and say, I believe. And finish that. What do you believe that? You can't say Jesus in church. No, you can't think of Jesus in church. And you'll see why in a minute. And turn that. And then you're, you look at them and go, hmm. Okay, you don't have to manage their beliefs. Just accept it. Okay, so turn to someone. Do that right now. I believe. You just do that with each other. I believe. And you, yeah, yeah, okay. See how all this affirmation that's flowing in here right now? Even though they, they, they may be way off their rocker on their belief system. Okay, so when we say, I believe, we are making a huge statement about ourselves. Now, you need to know that there are people who don't believe in belief. Did you know that? The new atheists, people like Daniel Dennett, they don't believe belief exists. That we are nothing but circuits and chips and to say we believe in something is like saying your computer, when you play chess, believes it must passionately defend its king. Well, it doesn't believe. It's just, it's programmed. And so there, you need to know this, especially you students who will go off to college. There are a lot of people who will not only mock your belief, they will mock belief as a belief. And Daniel Dennett, I don't know if he believes that or not, but that's what he says. That belief doesn't happen. What do I really believe? And what kind of belief gets through adversity with grace and faith and hope? What kind of belief topples the Roman Empire? Anybody wonder that? Like what kind of, what kind of faith does that? Changes an empire. Because many of us who, who see America slipping, we go, what kind of faith changes a place 
an empire like America? What kind of faith can gracefully forgive when, when it's violated? What, what kind of faith does that? And this is the question that we want to answer today. Now, one of my favorite writers is a guy by the name of Michael Novak. He was a, he was a Christian. He, he passed away in 2007. But he was a Christian uh, Catholic theologian and Catholic philosopher. And we're going to unpack what he said about faith in his incredible book, Belief and Unbelief. But I want you to see something here. When we, we, he, he would say that. He would say what uh, Professor Novak would say was, it was we would, so many of us sitting in churches today, we would affirm the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell on the third day. He rose again from the dead. There are people, there are millions of people sitting in church buildings right now all over America saying, I believe that. Well, here's the question. Why is it that you know atheists who are better people than some of the people you know are quoting that in church today? Because we know. We do know. We don't know. We don't know. We have. We've known people who they don't believe in God at all, but they're better people. They're more kind. They're more gracious. They're more truthful. Why is that? Why, well, what is, what is the reason behind the disconnect between what I say I believe and what I actually believe? There was a True story, there was a church that decided that it could really make its liturgy more efficient by just printing out uh, through a new software uh, the liturgy when they did a funeral with just the name of the person changed. And so one day a lady named Edna died and the previous funeral had been a lady named Mary and they just changed out all the places where there was Mary. It was Edna and everything was working fine in the liturgy until they got to the part where uh, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Edna. <laughs> and then, <laughs> can you, I, no, I guarantee you, when that happened, there was one guy sitting there going, that didn't sound right to me. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know. When I was a kid, it was Mary. It wasn't Edna. What's changed in church since I've been in church? It's, it's, there's newfangled churches doing Virgin Ednas. What's going on here? Because... They tell me I'm supposed to, I mean, if the church says it, I'm supposed to believe that, right? A Sunday school teacher who was trying to teach an object lesson, um, and he was using squirrels. And he said, kids, okay, kids, kids, gather around. What's, what's gray, has a bushy tail, and lives in trees? Just pause, nobody's answering. Okay, eats nuts, jumps from branch to branch, and waves its tail when it's excited. Only one little guy raised his hand and said, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know in here I'm supposed to say Jesus, he said. <laughs> and, and what that little parable illustrates is, well, well, they say I'm supposed to believe this, so I believe it. Here's what Michael Novak would say to that. He'd say, in reality, there are actually three kinds of faith. The first one is public convictions. This is what I say I believe because my peer group says I ought to believe it. I say this even though I really don't believe it. So in church, being, if that were your peer group, you would, oh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and Jesus Christ. Born. I, that's a public conviction. And really what we would call this, another euphemism for this, would be a public relations faith. 
And that is, you don't really believe it, but publicly it's to your advantage to say you believe in it. So you see this acted out in all kinds of ways. For example, your significant other comes to you and she says, does this dress make my hips look big? And if you understand this principle, you say, no, I didn't even know you had hips, honey, until you brought them up. (laughs) Didn't even know it. That's a public relations. That's a public conviction. uh, And you'd be smart to live that out. But politicians are brilliant at this one. You know, the key to politics, right, is sincerity. And once you learn to fake sincerity, you've got it made in politics. Because you've heard this. You've seen this acted out. Oh, Dayton, Ohio, you are the greatest city in America. Because everybody in Dayton loves that. Or, this, have you ever heard this one? This is the most pivotal election in the history of our country. Has it by any chance anybody ever heard that? Well, they don't believe that. They just, they just want you to believe in that. Or, you are the crossroads and the heartland of America. And that's what Stephen Colbert calls... In politics, it's not truth isn't important in politics. Truthiness is important. It's got to sound true. And if it sounds true in alignment with what I want to be true, oh, you got me. You got me. And so this is public conviction. And I'm going to give you an inside secret here. This is the, the, the liability of being a pastor, being a preacher, is I have to check myself to make sure that I really believe what I say. Why? Because in the right environment, it's easy to say things that I know you'll like it if you hear me saying I believe in it. You know, you'll like it. We, when we first started as a church, the first Sunday I was here, we had 72 people in a room that held 400. So it was a comfortable attendance By that I mean everybody could lie down and take a nap in the pew if they wanted to. We were at the seven-day Adventist building in Centerville on Spring Valley Road and 72 people. So I I mean the first 22 weeks, literally, I was calling family members from all over Ohio, Cleveland, Zanesville, and saying, hey, can you come to church? Because we were just trying to put warm bodies into the the room. And but one of when you're when you're that size, everybody stands out. That's why that's why everybody wants the bang of a large church, but the intimacy of a small one, because you know, everybody stands out. And we had a lady and her husband, wonderful people. Her name was Sue. And she was extroverted with her faith. I mean, she would come to church every day. Oh, hallelujah, praise Jesus. Isn't God good, brother, brother Charlie? Hallelujah, praise Jesus. Isn't God good? And she was just so extra. Which, trust me, if you're that way, I love that. I'd rather restrain a fanatic than resurrect a corpse any day, okay? <laughs> and, and she was that way. But it was a little like, oh, Sue. Can you just tamp it down a little bit? Okay, And because on top of that, we had a guy who was a greeter at the time. I'll call him Steve, who he was so enthusiastic in his greeting people at the door that he dislocated shoulders, okay? He was that. You ever seen that? And so I had a friend, Rick, whose brother has been a part of this church and his family since that time. And Rick was just coming into faith. He had grown up Catholic, and, and uh, I was trying to get him to come to church, and Rick confessed to me one day, he goes, man, he goes, I'm freaked out coming into that building. He goes, I want to tell you, I wait until I know for sure you're preaching before I come in. I just wait because I don't want to get assaulted at the door. <laughs> and he did, he, you know, he listed Sue and Steve and all that. So one day after service, you know, 
Rick and I are in the dating phase of church. He's kind of getting interested. We're not married yet, but we're dating. And I'm talking to Rick after service, trying to act dignified, trying to connect with him. And out of the corner of my eye, I see Sue coming. Oh, Lord, you rescued Daniel from the lion's den. You rescued Jonah from the mouth of the fish. Please rescue me from this moment. And here comes Sue. Oh, Brother Charlie, hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Isn't God good? It's so good to be in the spirit today. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Isn't God good? And she goes, Brother Charlie, I need to talk to you. I said, Sue, can it wait a minute, please? Can it wait just a minute? She goes, oh, no, Brother Charlie, it can't wait a minute. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. My rich uncle died and gave me $10,000, and I'm going to give it to our building program. And I said, hallelujah, praise Jesus, isn't God good? It's so good to be in the spirit today. You know, I'm telling you, the longer you're in church, the easier it is to fall for this. That I'm just going to say it because it sounds good. And some of us have a public faith. Interesting thing is happening in America right now. It used to be socially beneficial to be a church member, a church attender. In most of the country, and increasingly so, especially on the coast, it's no longer socially beneficial to have a public faith. It's actually socially detrimental to be known as a church attender. The second one is, according to Michael Novak, is what he called private convictions. And these are what I think I believe. I believe, I believe this. But the catch is, is that I do believe it except when it becomes inconvenient for me, and then I really don't believe it. So you see this acted out on so many levels. I've seen this with, with guys, you know, they, they see this girl who's just, oh, she is just like perfect. But he has a commitment phobia, and she's perfect. He, he's like, oh, I'd love, to, I'd love to date her, but she's dating someone else. And one day she becomes available. She's on the market. She becomes available because, you know, she broke up with this other guy, and all of a sudden, she now knows that he's interested in her and she can make a commitment back to him. And he goes, you know what? I don't think she's all that wonderful anymore. <laughs> Why? Because now it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. That's a private conviction. That is a private conviction. I believe something until it costs me what I don't want to pay. The ROI on this doesn't measure up to me. So this week, if you go into the Easter watch this Thursday... Here's what I want you to think of. One of the things I want you to think of is your faith. What I want you to think of is Thursday night was the night that Peter showed what a private conviction looks like. Because on the night he was betrayed, Jesus says, you're, you're all going to abandon me. In my moment of need, you're going to abandon me. And what does Peter say? Yeah, those other turkeys might abandon you, but I'm not made of that cowardly stuff. I'll stick with you through thick and thin. Now, how many of you believe that Peter believed he believed that? He believed he believed that. What happened before the rooster crowed three times? He denied Jesus. That's a private conviction. I want to believe this is true. But once it became socially unacceptable to be a follower of